This is Language Made Difficult, an inalienable part of the Specgram podcast. Welcome to our Linguistics Roundtable Telesymposium. I'm Trey Jones, and joining me today are the rest of the Ling Nerds, Bill Spruill. Hey. Keith Slater. Great to be with you. And Sherry Wells Jensen. Hi there. So let's start off with some lies, damn lies, and linguistics. The theme today is weird is as weird does. So I have three maximally obfuscated language-related items. Two are true and one is false. And you guys have to figure out which is which. After you make your overly educated guesses, we will discuss. Wait a minute. Don't we have a guest today? No. Well, we can't go without a guest because the guests have to come in last place. If there's no guest, one of us will have to come in last place. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, the guests are doing so poorly that you'll probably be okay. Well, then... Uh, Can you guarantee that? Not in writing. (laughs) And remember, an oral contract isn't worth the paper it's written on. Well, who gets the hint? That's what I... The crucial thing here is who gets the hint if there's no guest? (laughs) Today, the hint will be a null allomorph. (laughs) Okay. We might play this one under protest, but we'll see how it goes. So this installment comes with a bit of an introduction. In 2013, Tyler Schnobelin looked at data from Walls, the World Atlas of Language Structures, to try to figure out what counts as a weird language. After simplifying the feature set to remove correlated features, he ended up with 21 features. After removing languages that were coded for fewer than two-thirds of those features, he had 239 languages to work with. His goal was to find the typologically weirdest languages, and while the Walls database is far from infallible, among his findings were two of the following. Number one. So two are going to be true. Two are true, one is false, as always. (laughs) All 50 times. Let me write that down. (laughs) We haven't done this 50 times. Okay, go ahead. Item number one. While Mandarin is in the top 25 for weirdness, Cantonese is in the bottom 10. Item number two. Word order switching is fairly common for yes-no questions, like English subject auxiliary inversion, and is present in about 40% of the world's languages. Item number three. The least weird language on Schnobelin's list is Hindi, with only one weird feature. All right, who'd like to go first? Bill. Bill. Keith. Was this including phonology? I believe so, yes. Do they have that in walls? Oh, they certainly have phonological features. I just didn't know if they were focusing on grammar. Are they focusing on everything? I'll just assume everything. It was kind of everything. I mean, I have some notes about some of the weirdest languages to discuss later, and there are some vaguely phonological features in there. I'll bet it ends up being mostly phonological because that's what they have most data on. But anyway, let's just play the game and then we can argue about walls. I'm thinking about this, and the problem is I can't rule things out that fast. Number two, I'm very suspicious about, because it's one thing to have a little bit of word order movement, but English is kind of really weird that way, especially with the subject auxiliary inversion. I just want to say that that was just an example of word order switching. It's not necessarily anything that complicated. Okay. You're not saying that 40% of the world's languages have subject auxiliary inversion. No, nothing like that. It just has just some sort of word order permutation. Word order switch. Yeah, for yes, no questions. That's usually called movement. Yes. Okay. So I'm willing to believe that the least weird language is Hindi. I'm a little worried about those breathy consonants, but that might be the one weird feature. The thing about Mandarin and Cantonese is I have trouble with tone languages, so I think all tone languages are weird, even though intellectually (laughs) I know that they're incredibly common. The thing that's making me suspicious about that one is I know Cantonese has a ton of tones, so I think it might be kind of high in tones, but I don't know how much that counts. I'm just going to say number two is the false one because I think the word order switching should be rarer than 40%. 
especially with yes, no questions, because you can just say something and then say yes. Okay. Who's next? You said this was Tyler Schnabelin or Schnabelin or something. Yep. See, we've bought a tractor from the Schnabelin family in our neighborhood here, <laughs> and it's a Romanian tractor. And since the fall of Ceausescu, we've not been able to get the Schnabelins. Well, they're not real keen on maintaining it for us. So we have lots of tractor problems. So this is a difficult name for me, but I realize that's not exactly relevant to the question. Okay. So Mandarin is in the top 25 for weirdness and Cantonese is in the bottom 10. You just put that in there to bait me. I know it. I would never do that. Because I know a lot about Mandarin and almost nothing about Cantonese. So this is just going to torment me because I have absolutely no idea whether this is going to be true or false. But you feel that you should. (laughs) I feel that I should. I'm like Tantalus in some way that I can't describe. So word (laughs) order switching. I agree with Bill. If the word order is wrong, it's because 40% is too high. But I'm going to say that one feels true, even though 40% feels a little high. And Hindi, I mean, somebody has to be normal. Why not Hindi? So I'll say that one's true. So I'm going to go with the Mandarin and Cantonese one because I can't believe that even a linguist could come up with features that would separate those two that much, that one would be in the top 25 and one would be in the bottom 10. Wait a minute. (laughs) Maybe there are only 26 languages. (laughs) There are 239. We did discuss that. Oh, okay. 230. Okay. Got it. Got it. Got it. Okay. I'm going with number one, even though I think you're just picking on me. Okay. Sherry? (laughs) It's really important to me that Keith knows more about Mandarin than I do, and I really want to insist on that. So I was hoping you'd go the other way with this one, because that's not how I want to answer the question. But I still think you, (laughs) if you don't know more about Mandarin and Cantonese than I do, then you really should. So, (laughs) Well, I probably do, but I still don't know the answer. (laughs) Oh, that's not how I wanted this to go. Um, So, okay, well. Hmm. Maybe I should change my answer. You might want too late. You've locked in. It's too late. That's right. I've already signed the contract. All right. All right. All right. So two or true. So (laughs) (sighs) which one of these don't I like most? Hindi has so many weird things, right? So Hindi's got those consonants. It's also got these crazy gender marking stuff on verbs. And it's, I really thought when I was, had to learn a little bit of Hindi that I might not recover too quickly from that experience. (laughs) I feel a little bit betrayed here because I thought Keith was going to lead me in the right direction. (laughs) I'm going to have to go with number three. See, the, the thing about Hindi is that it's weird features or stuff like honorifics and things that didn't get counted in the list because he didn't have enough languages that had documentation. So it's going to turn out you're going to regret it. No, I'm sticking with this. I'm sticking with number three. I'm sticking with number three, but I am going to blame you if I'm wrong. Just so you know. <laughs> well, that's not fair. Oh, right. Exactly. The best thing about this is that you all picked different ones. So at least two of you are wrong. Yep. So I get a point. Woohoo! We do it for the fun of it, just to make you feel good. Okay. <laughs> so I want to throw in a rule that says that Bill can't go first because you guys are bad at math here. He hasn't gotten any of them wrong yet. <laughs> and today is no different. <sighs> in fact, Mandarin is in the top 25 for weirdness and Cantonese is in the bottom 10. Hindi did only have one weird feature, which was the locational possessive. What? Which is a usage <laughs> like, he is with horse or at me is a horse. That's not weird. And it's not the only one. Lots so they don't mention do breathy consonants, but they put that in. <laughs> what, who is this? Where, where do I find this guy? 
you can blame the people who put data into walls because it's possible that things weren't coded. But all the languages that were considered did have at least two-thirds of the features coded. Anyway, the false one was about the movement for yes-no questions. And the use of a question particle is the most common way of asking questions. Mm. Subject auxiliary inversion is present in only 13 languages, including German, Czech, Dutch, Swedish, Norwegian, Frisian, English, Danish, and Spanish. You just said that that was only an example, not the only type of movement. Uh, yes. <laughs> I don't have the numbers in front of me. <laughs> anyway. Sounds like you're changing your tune. Quite possibly. Well, if you think about it, though, if you're going to have any form of word order switching to mark questions, you figure it should be major elements like the subject and the verb or the subject and the auxiliary. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're not going to have like, oh, I'm going to ask a yes, no question. So all the adjectives are going to go before the noun instead of after (laughs) it now. Right. 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 (laughs) You guys want a few more weird language facts? Of course. Of course. Sure. Uh, The weirdness of many of the weirdest languages is obfuscated by the fact that they are familiar European languages. Some of the weirder ones included German, Dutch, Norwegian, Czech, and Spanish. On the other hand, Basque and Ainu are not at all weird. They were both in the bottom 10 Mm. among languages you've heard of. But the weirdest language was Chalcotongo Mixtec. And some of its features include it is verb initial and tonal. It makes no distinctions between questions and statements. It handles pronominal subjects by requiring inflections on the verb and having obligatory pronouns. But the pronouns don't go in the same spot as full NP subjects. Mm. So that's a little weird. Was tonal one of the weird features? I would have to look at the numbers again to see if tonal was inherently weird. Because it was in the list you just gave. I don't know. I'm suspicious of this whole project. I mean, it says he ended up with 21 features, which is not a whole lot of features, right? No, he did discuss that because there are a lot of things that are correlated. Yes, sure. And so you didn't want to get one thing and then you end up getting 10 points because there are 10 things that are correlated with it. Right, right. So English was number 33 out of 239. And its weird features include swapping word order and questions, having obligatory subject pronouns, and having velar nasals while limiting where they can occur. You'd think the interdental fricatives would be in there, too. They're not that common. I did say include, not an exhaustive list follows. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, I would think the interdental fricatives would also be on the weird list. I know it's definitely weird among European languages, but maybe it's not that weird all over the whole world. But it probably is. If anyone is interested in a more formal treatment, you can also find an article titled Quantitative Explorations of the Worldwide Distribution of Rare Characteristics or the Exceptionality of Northwestern European Languages by Michael Seesaw. And it's around on the internet. Was that a co-author with Tyler? No, that was a completely separate paper. Oh, all right. That seems to be a more formal treatment, but I'd already spent enough time coming up with my questions. Had to move on. (laughs) So that's weird. Can we find the weirdness facts on the internet someplace? Uh, You can. The startup that Schnobelin worked for has shut down. So his blog post is no longer available on their website, but you can find it on Mm archive.org on the Wayback Machine. It's not being maintained, Keith. Yes. Yeah, well, just like all those weird languages. The spreadsheet is there on archive.org too, and you can download it and mess with it yourself. Mm. Obfuscate the facts. And then come back and file a formal protest about the score (laughs) and get nowhere. Oh, that's cool. I got nothing to do for I think I'll do that. All right. If it keeps you busy. Yeah. If it keeps okay. you off the streets. Sounds good. So looking at the scores, as I mentioned, Bill still is on a perfect streak. Has 100%. I have 83%. Keith has fallen to 50%. Sherry has fallen to 33%. And the guests who were not here today are holding steady at 20%. I think they should get penalized for not showing up. <laughs> <laughs> that seems more than a little unfair. 
As long as I scored better than the person who's not even here, I guess I still... (laughs) Well, they actually have a bit of an advantage because your scores are out of six in the sequence, while theirs are only out of five. You have more opportunities to fail. Maybe Bill could give them some charity. (laughs) (laughs) Moving on, that's all the time we have for Lies, Damn Lies, and Linguistics, and we'll be back with some language in the news after a word from our sponsor. Language Made Difficult is brought to you by Tobias Högberg. Now, if only I could get them to record the PIE Laryngeals Hour with Tim Pouliou. Language Made Difficult is brought to you by Conlangers Anonymous. Conlangers Anonymous was founded in 1694 as the Society for the Redemption of Creators of Philosophical Languages when Francis Lodwick realized that creating a priori philosophical languages had all but ruined his life. He turned his life around and was able to die a happy healed man who spoke in and thought of only those languages nature had created. At Conlangers Anonymous, we help Conlangers see the agonizing human cost and professional cost of their obsession. The hours spent constructing a language could be better spent in real human interaction with friends, family, and your World of Warcraft guild. The effort poured into creating fake language data for fun could be expended on falsifying data for papers and refereed journals, leading to tenure. Come to one of our meetings. We understand you, and we can help. Welcome back to Language Made Dangerous, a salubriously admonitory portion of the Spectgram podcast. (laughs) Tonight, we venture forth, or rather venture to a prudent remove from, a terrifying toponym that has already been the bane of at least one unfortunate soul. This term hails from far, icy, eerily peaceful Canada, but unexpectedly isn't hockey-related, Quebecois, or even Manitoba. It's Newfoundland, or however you'd like to say that, absolutely no insult if that isn't how I said it. Just fill in what you'd like, I'm sure we can all get along. According to the National Post, a Canadian newspaper other than the Globe and Mail, in an article (laughs) titled, The Strange Tale of the Man Who Was Shot Point Blake for Mispronouncing Newfoundland in the Old West, because the National Post doesn't tweet entire titles, a dispute (laughs) over the pronunciation of said province, territory, satrapy, or whatever term of art Canada uses, led to an altercation in Larkspur, Colorado in 1876, resulting in one person dead and the other fled. Apparently, stress (laughs) contours were the proximate cause, although there was also punching and a Texan. While this attempt to sell Canadians on gun violence apparently didn't catch, I'm sure that the potential remains. Lingards, what threat abasement procedures would you recommend in this case and other cases as well? Hmm. I don't know. It sounds like the one guy was trying to look it up and the other guy threw a punch to quote a source quoted in the article. True to his Texan breeding and education, he drew his revolver and shot the guy. And I don't know what to say other than, yep, sometimes a man just needs killing. (laughs) And a sucker punching a fellow while he's trying to look something up in the dictionary makes it justifiable schmuck aside. So I think he deserved it. (laughs) You think you should have hit him with the dictionary? If you're some sort of lily-livered pacifist Texan, I guess that's all right. I think you really should have said needs kilt, shouldn't you, instead of needs killing? No. (laughs) Yeah. Don't correct Trey on Texas grammar I, or morphology I, or whatever. Honestly, now that I think about it again, I, I dare not. <laughs> I don't know so the claim is that this was in Larkspur, Colorado, and there were two men arguing about how to pronounce Newfoundland in Colorado. They had even heard of Newfoundland? Apparently. Now, I have interviewed an actual Canadian to check on the pronunciation <laughs> of this, and I think what I was hearing was something like Newfoundland. 
I kept trying to repeat it, and apparently I never got it exactly right, although the person I was talking to apologized several times for me mispronouncing it, which I don't <laughs> really understand. That's how you know they're Canadian. <laughs> but it's not actually Newfoundland. You don't completely de-stress the final syllable. So do you de-stress all of them? I'm not except in, the last one. Except kind of the last one, but it's not louder than the other one. So the two people that were arguing were trying to put sort of more predictable stress contours on it. So apparently one person was saying Newfoundland and the other person was saying Newfoundland instead of Newfoundland. So it's apparently primary stress on the first syllable. No stress on the second syllable, but then secondary stress on the third syllable with a non-reduced vowel. And let me just get this straight. This was in Colorado, right? Right, (laughs) right. (laughs) Colorado. You know, there are people who say Colorado. What? Of course they do. There are people. What? No, of course they're wrong. (laughs) They've been talking to people from Nevada, (laughs) like all the inhabitants of Nevada. Mm. So what, Trey, you say Colorado? Colorado? Clearly Colorado. Colorado. Not Colorado. Do you say Nevada, too? Nevada. Yes, I do. Nevada. (laughs) I would naturally say Nevada, but the population of the state apparently is in agreement that it's Nevada. You know what? They have already proven that they don't have good quality decision-making skills by living in Nevada, so I'm not sure I'm going to take their word for it. (laughs) The question here is, do we have any states that have executable mispronunciations? Could you be shot for saying Colorado or Colorado? I think it depends on who you're talking to, really. Yeah. <laughs> well, and who you're leaving out, yeah, because clearly Bill's Yiddish homeland of Michigan and down south Mississippi, <laughs> um, you wouldn't want to mispronounce those because it'd be rude, right? I'm particularly <laughs> fond of Michigan. I think that's really the way that should be. There is a question in Michigan as to uh, what the inhabitants are referred to as. So, Bill, what's your preference as a naturalized citizen? The thing is, my preference doesn't really matter because I would say something like Michiganite, and no one does. (laughs) The two possibilities are Michigander and Michiganian, and no person from the state I've ever met likes Michiganian. They all go for Michigander. No, no. That's what I thought. Michiganian is a foreign thing. That's something that Ohio says about Michiganders, I think. Are the women Michigese? No, no. (laughs) Why not? Because it's written, that's why. Right. (laughs) And basically, in the state, that's not used anyway because there are other terms based on which peninsula you're from. If you're from the upper peninsula, you're a youper, and if you're from the lower peninsula, you're a troll. (laughs) Because you live under the bridge. Yeah. (laughs) Hmm. But I do know... The state of Arkansas apparently passed a law making it illegal to say Arkansas. I've heard that. So at least at some point. That was in Lies, Damn Lies, and Linguistics. It might have been. Well, there is an Arkansas city in Kansas. Yeah. So they're just thumbing their nose from Kansas at Arkansas. I'd just like to call foul on anybody actually learning anything from Lies, Damn Lies, and Linguistics. I didn't think that was allowed. (laughs) Well, technically, this wasn't any of the questions. It was in the discussion materials. Oh, maybe that's all right. I'm not sure. Here in Maryland, I do hear tourists who say Maryland. And contrary to Newfoundland, if you say land instead of Lund, it does make you stand out as a tourist. I don't think it would get you killed, though after watching The Wire, I wouldn't try it in the sketchy parts of Baltimore just to be safe. (laughs) Well, here's an alternate question, though. 
What pronunciations should be met with threats of dire consequences? Oh, I think if you pronounce New Delhi as Nude Ellie, then I think that's yeah. And maybe if you pronounce Newcastle as Nuke Assel, that also probably should not be allowed. <laughs> so I was reminded of the early examples that we discussed during Lies, Damn Lies, and Linguistics in an earlier episode. And just to remind everybody, we had mm-hmm. Rushi, Ohio, Chilai, New mm-hmm. York, Pompeii, Michigan, Beatrice, Nebraska, Arkansas City, Kansas, Piru, Indiana, and Delhi, California. And after writing all those down again, I feel like these are the moral equivalent of spelling your baby Caitlin's name, K-E-I-G-H-T-L-I-N-D, just to stand out and be unique or to obfuscate the pronunciation. (laughs) I don't know. Well, I can't help but also think that maybe sometimes alternate pronunciations are based on different ideas about the name's possible etymology. Right, which is certainly what you have with things like Arkansas, where it looks Mm -hmm. like it has Kansas in it. I can Mm -hmm. only assume that people saying Newfoundland are probably assuming it's like an anglicized borrowing from Nawa, and it's something like Noplantlan, which would be (laughs) my planless place. It's kind of like an office, I'm guessing. So it's probably a repronunciation of that. Pompeii, that one I got nothing for. Yeah, that's, I don't know. Yeah. Is it Pompeii or Pompeii? I think it's Pompeii. Okay. My source had Pompeii. Not that either is better. (laughs) (laughs) One may be more true, but neither is good. I may have subconsciously southernized what Michiganders actually say, though. Mm. I do know that one of the towns in the middle of the state Looks like it should be pronounced Ithaca, but it's apparently Ithaca. (laughs) Go figure. (laughs) Go figure. Having spent some time in Ithaca, New York, isn't Ithaca more or less the correct pronunciation of the Greek location? That's a matter of perspective. I mean, sometimes languages get things wrong. (laughs) Isn't the nuclear stress rule part of underlying reality? Well, you don't have to assume that just because they had the name first, they necessarily pronounce it right. Right. It could just be like a vague presentment of the actual name. And that's what happened with Manitoba and Saskatchewan. (laughs) (sighs) For that matter, they might not have even gotten the syllables in the right order. (laughs) So Newfoundland might be Lanfandu. The problem with terrifying toponyms is they're hard to talk about. I mean, we're all sitting here now worried about the potential for offending the inhabitants of most of the map, actually. So (laughs) we'll move on to a new topic, but we should all keep in mind to be careful how to pronounce things. Wait a minute. I ain't scared of nobody. I'm a Texan. I know how to solve this problem. I'll look it up in a dictionary. That's what but is there going to be an altercation over which dictionary to use? <laughs> I hope so. I mean, there should be, right? Right. Well, Websterians and Wikipedians and Oedonites going at each other. That should be Wikipanders, shouldn't it? <laughs> Only for the boy ones. The girl ones are Wikipiece. <laughs> I believe we have wrung out every juicy bit of knowledge that we're going to get out of that discussion. So we'll be back in a minute after a word from our sponsor. 
Language Made Difficult is brought to you by Play Press, an academic publishing house formerly dedicated to the proposition that linguistics is the noblest of the academic fields, but now with a focus on subjects of more relevance to the working linguist's everyday life and career. Check out our Sprachgeist guides for the linguist on the go and our annual bestseller lists at specgram.com slash Panini Press. Language Made Difficult is brought to you by the Department of Historical Linguistics and or Philology of the Autocratic University of Vinland Bulkirir. Language Made Difficult is brought to you by Tobias Högberg. You're welcome, language nerds. Language Made Difficult is still brought to you by the Kevin Bickelson Foundation. Welcome back to Language Made Difficult, where we put your needs first all the time. We're always thinking about the other guy while simultaneously trying to make names for ourselves in linguistics. So as a service to our soon-to-be wealthy donors, we're about to offer you some sage advice, which is actually worth exactly what you are about to pay for it. We would like to (laughs) take a moment to address the needs of students who are still in academia with sage words of linguistic wisdom that we trust will guide you flawlessly to your graduation and beyond. Let's see which of the Ling nerds has words of wisdom for you. Keith, Bill, Trey? What do you have to offer for the upcoming generations of linguists? Well, I would say don't get excited about the syntactic phenomenon of the day until after your linguistics professor puts the asterisks on the example sentences, especially if you speak a non-standard dialect at home. (laughs) I was crushed. I almost left linguistics. It's horrible. (laughs) Your dialect appeared on the board and then got asterisk later. Is that? (laughs) I cannot remember the exact phenomenon now, but yeah, there were a bunch of example sentences that the professor put up and then I'm like, oh, this is so cool. And then he put asterisks next to all the ones that I would say. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that was a real comeuppance, wasn't it? (laughs) Yeah. I would actually go even further and suggest to graduate students, don't work on English at all. It's been overdone. No matter what you say, you're in the position of like trying to sell corn in Nebraska. Everybody's already got it. (laughs) Good advice. Plus, it's easy for people to make up their own data to try to refute you. So I would say, and this might be slightly autobiographical, do not write the conclusion to a term paper at 5.30 in the morning. Conclusions like that almost always turn out to be embarrassing in the light of day. Oh, that's actually real advice, though. (laughs) Also, if you've got an entire notebook full of fieldwork-type notes that are well-organized, do not put off writing the paper until shortly before it's done, because... If you type over 50 pages in three days, your back will not forgive you for a while. (laughs) (laughs) Especially if you have a manual typewriter. I have a very concrete piece of advice that, once again, is from personal experience. You should never lose your lunch or leave your lunch in your professor's office. I had a very bad experience in my own office with a student who left... (laughs) who left her sandwich. Actually, I don't even know who it was. It was after a day of conferences with my students, I started to notice something wafting through the air, some some faint aroma <laughs> of yesterday's ham. <laughs> and on preparation, I discovered an entire paper wrap, some kind of meat and some kind of sauce sandwich, like just nestled there under the pillow on my little couch. <laughs> 
And I don't know if it was the first student or the last student, but at some point that sandwich was abandoned. And uh, <laughs> it sort of changed the way I felt about the whole class because my office sort of smelled like that. <laughs> I have something related in terms of not irking your professors. Mm. And that is if you come from a mathy background, don't argue with your linguistics professors over stupid stuff. So if they want to believe that imaginary numbers oscillate between positive and negative values, let them. <laughs> Wow. That actually came up. Wow. And you're still scarred. I am. There's a Specgram article about that (laughs) from many years ago. Mm. Real quick on a related note, if you come from a mathy background, don't go out of your way to explain mathy concepts to professors or fellow students because you should obfuscate in order to maintain an air of sciencey mystery. I have a very important piece of advice, and I'd just like to take a moment to discuss it in a little bit of detail because I think it really could make the difference between success and failure. So I would like to discuss the philanthropic and highly beneficial practice of bestowing extravagant gifts upon your major advisor or upon anyone who teaches phonetics. And I would point out that it is scientifically proven to the P.0001 level that there is some probability that it might significantly boost your grade on any exam or comprehensive question on which your name is clearly visible. So I would say it's important to consider the timing. You have to really strategically place these gifts. During some kind of academic lull is ideal, not within a period of three days before or three days after any kind of major academic event, because that's crass and obvious. They must appear (laughs) to be genuine bursts of affection and admiration. It's generally (laughs) crass to offer cash or jewelry, and furs just make you look tacky, so avoid that. I find that it's best to deal in paper merchandise, such as plane tickets to exotic locales, which can later be fudged to look like research trips or consumables. And I'm recommending fine chocolate or exotic liqueurs, I think, as consumable and therefore disappearable. You know, Sherry, I don't know that this is such good advice because I heard about somebody who left a very nice meat and sauce sandwich for their professor and it really didn't go well. Well, that's bound to backfire because the age was wrong. So like if you're going to leave something that's going to ferment, you know, like that, like a liqueur or something, it's got to be older than that. The timing was bad on that one. The metric is for scotch. It's five years old for every point that you figure your grade should increase. I think I think if you follow that strategy, I think you'll do really well. You'll get good letters of recommendation. And I'm thinking your scores will be, you know, higher. So with 500-year-old scotch, you don't have to uh, do any work? Exactly. <laughs> you get an automatic pass. See, automatic. I know. I did carefully consider the math on these things because mm. I, I like <laughs> things to be a little bit mathy. Yeah. Trey likes that, too. Yeah. I have, I'm afraid, some much more mundane advice. Nowhere in your first paragraph of anything should you use the phrase, in our modern society today. (laughs) Just don't. Just trust me on this one. Don't do that. No matter what the linguistic phenomenon is in current American speech, do not say that Americans have been saying it for millennia. (laughs) is since the dawn of humankind okay uh no and neither is since the dawn of time (laughs) it might get you a marginal notation asking about how this happened before the disc of spinning dust accreted into the solar system (laughs) 
If you're doing an oral defense, do not start making a confident comment before you actually have content for it. <laughs> Wait, that's what I do. Oh, okay. I wrote that one down, though. <laughs> if you're in a committee meeting, you can just immediately shift to saying, but what are the precedents on this? <laughs> and then sort of sit back and look <laughs> determined. <laughs> if you're a student and you're in a committee meeting, you've done something horribly wrong. Yeah. You could be the student representative to the faculty. Exactly. Meeting, but, exactly. You've done something But then you shouldn't yeah. be asking impertinent questions like, what are the precedents? I think if you're the student representative in any kind of faculty committee meeting, your only obligation is to not weep openly. <laughs> <laughs> So I have some sort of vaguely relationship type advice, which is don't get attached to visiting professors. Just because a professor visited for a year was generally awesome and was universally loved by the students doesn't mean they'll even get a shot at the new permanent position in the department because departmental politics sucks. Trace, this is just sounding like more and more heartbreak. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it sucked. He's the reason I got out of linguistics. Oh. oh, as academic. Well, because it's just like he was great, and you know he was moving around these one to two year appointments, and he yeah. had to drag his family oh, along yeah. and moving all over the country, and had no idea where he was going to end up living. And yeah. you know, yeah, that's not the life for me. No, you can see that just, that is a tough life. Yeah, I was going to say that academia is just evil. I mean, it's, just, it's a terrible kind of thing. I don't know why we do it. It allows do a lot of scope for that, and that brings me to something I was going to advise: do not assemble a committee of people who do not get along with each other. I've seen that happen, and it's not pretty. How do you assemble a committee of linguists that do get along with each other? Well, you should have chosen a different department if you can't. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So it sounds like we strayed from things students shouldn't do to things professors shouldn't do. No, that's students. Students assemble their committee, right? Oh, I see. I'm sorry. I I was thinking about the other kind of committee we had before. Oh. That's built into the committee structure. It ensures that the committee can get everything done. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm an advisory committee. Yeah, yeah. Thesis. Gotcha. Faculty committees, I can't say anything about, but I've never heard a positive story. Let's see. Have I ever heard a positive story about a faculty committee? (laughs) (laughs) There must be one somewhere. The meeting ended and the committee was disbanded. Rejoice! (laughs) I'm on some that occasionally finish before the allotted time. Mm. And then everyone sits there in shock for at least five minutes, not believing that could happen. (laughs) I one time, because I was faculty senate chair, which we would have to have a whole counseling session if I talk about it too much longer. But because I was that, I was on the committee on committees. (laughs) <laughs> committee on and, committees is yes there's, beautiful there's a beautiful name i know and it was exactly what you might think it was and it felt exactly like you might think it feels but while i was on the committee on committees we actually abolished three or four committees oh nice and there was yeah. much rejoicing yeah so i sort of felt like i mean they weren't they hadn't been meeting anyway but still nominally we did a really good thing oh i don't know maybe you did a bad thing oh no Just imagine you're on three committees that never meet Right. If someone says, hey, can you be on this committee? You're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm already on three committees here. (laughs) Now those people have no excuse. And they're going to get put on other committees that actually try to do things. It's true. And we did actually find other committees that weren't meeting and make them meet. Maybe it was a net evil outcome after all. Mm, Back to the evil empire. Oh, yeah. So just to make you guys feel jealous, we have meetings of my entire team, which is more than 15 people, our weekly meetings. And the shortest one was less than seven minutes. And we actually completed our entire agenda. That's just wrong. It's so right. 
Well, that's not a meeting. That's something else. It was. It had an agenda. You guys in industry, you don't understand how things are done. <laughs> Did you read the minutes from the last meeting? Did you even do that and then offer corrections? <laughs> the spelling and the punctuation and all the adjectives and all the noun phrases? The awesome thing is we have a shared document that everyone can edit in real time. So I just fix those things and we don't discuss uh... them. <laughs> Oh my God. One useful trick, though, if you copy edit the heck out of required sections of paperwork, after a while, your colleagues start getting rid of those sections and you don't have to write them anymore. <laughs> wow. Yep. We used okay. to have bibliographies on our master course syllabi and they got copy edited. And now we don't have bibliographies required on our master course syllabi. I'm not quite sure how that works. It seems like, well, if Bill's going to edit it and make it right, I'll just throw something together kind of half-assed and Bill will fix it. How does you copy editing it? Well, I'm not sure it was just me. There were other people doing it too. But if you keep getting it bounced back at you with questions like, this date here doesn't match that date there. Which one's right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right? So it requires feedback. I see. Well, then, mm -hmm. and if you do it well and you show it to people and they find nothing to object to, then what's the point of it? Right, right. <laughs> there has been no alteration, and alterations are the measurement of committee activity. Mm -hmm. See, that's why we need more than seven minutes. I'm sorry for you all. You need at least seven <laughs> minutes to vote on accepting the previous minutes. <laughs> Uh, we've never even found the previous minutes in, in seven <laughs> minutes. <laughs> Our previous minutes have already been published before the meeting happens. You cannot do that. All right. Does anybody have any other ones? Do not use semicolons unless you know how. <laughs> hey, that takes care of all semicolons pretty much from every student paper I've ever gotten. Mm -hmm. Does that also apply to the passive voice? Actually, not. passive voice is great in academic writing. I do. <laughs> you want to know that the mixture was heated to 500 degrees. You don't need to know that it was Bob, the lab assistant, that did it. Hmm. Those fall into the same category for me of prescriptive prohibitions that are given because it's like, we're just going to tell you never to do this because we can't right. explain to you how to do it properly. And if you right. don't already know, you're never going to know. My favorite sort of that kind of thing is when I write my suggestions for making clear sentences for second language readers, passive voice should not be used. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Any number of my students will write that down and go, oh, okay. <laughs> yep. I'm convinced that a bunch of my students come in firmly believing that you're not allowed to start a sentence with because or although. Mm. because some teacher at some point just gave up trying to explain <laughs> fragments and said, just never do this. <laughs> yep, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yep, that's right. I was just feeling bad for complaining about my students because my students are actually pretty awesome this semester. So my piece of advice is just you all out there, students, be as awesome as my students are, and then everyone will be happy. The last bit of advice for things that students should not do is that they should not pass up an opportunity to join with a bunch of other dorky nerds to do stupid linguistic stuff and call it a journal. <laughs> or a podcast. <laughs> do not pass up the opportunity. It could, it could ruin your life. I meant take over your life. I meant been ton wait, uh, it could be tons of fun for years to come. <laughs> could be the gift that keeps on giving. That's what it is. It's the gift that keeps on giving. Thank you. 
I think that only applies if it's an August journal, though. <laughs> yeah. It seems to work out okay in the September journal as well. <laughs> so is there a celebration in this episode for this is the 50th episode of Language Made Difficult? No. Can we sing <laughs> the LMD song? Yeah. No, no, most definitely no. <laughs> you know, what we should do is pick a different number. Like, is 51 a prime number? No. no. Oh, well, 53? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so we do the 53rd episode celebration or something. <laughs> okay. I, everybody does 50. <laughs> That's cliche. Am I supposed to believe that there really are 50 and that these numbers aren't in some way profoundly random? They are not. They're it's really puzzling, are 50. Somehow we've managed to do 50 of these things. So, Sherry, you missed out on the first 20 or so. How many were there? I don't know. Didn't a couple of them keep cycling between positive and negative? You <laughs> <laughs> just imagined that, Bill. That really happened. So that's all the time we have for Language Made Difficult. Join us next time when we take a pause to consider the flaws in Latin's laws concerning the causal clause and, grasping at straws, ponder whether Grandpa's guffaws and applause for Warsaw scofflaws might, in fact, have a clausal cause. Yay! Wow. <laughs> wow. This is la- <laughs> this Sorry. is language made. Anybody else? Is it just Keith every time? Shh. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. It's not obfuscate. It's obfuscate. No. No, it's like coupon. It's obfuscate. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. Obfuscate. No. I'm looking it up. Fuh. I'm going fa. Anyway. You think no a dictionary, what dictionary is going to stop a linguist? I will not be cowed, even if the dictionary disagrees. <laughs> Silly prescriptivist dictionary, anyway. Obfuscate. There, right there it is, right there on Google. Uh, so it's got fuck right in the middle of it. Can't not- believe well, that right. can be fixed. Can it? I would think so. I can fix Wiktionary. Yeah. You can fix, well, we, any of us can fix Wiktionary. Wiktionary is awesome, even if the likes of you is allowed to edit it. I'll just check out Wiktionary right here. Did you mean obfuscate? Yes, I meant obfuscate. <laughs> That's <laughs> what I typed. Oh, wait, there it comes. It said there was no entry, and now there is one. Trey, you're magic. You got it in quick. <laughs> obfuscate, obfuscate. U.S. and U.K. both give multiple pronunciations, and none of them have a yeah in them. Ha! Hmm. I like the way you can edit that so quickly without even making typing noises. <laughs> but you guys just go ahead and pronounce it whatever uh, uneducated. I mean, uh... <laughs> Bill, you like obfuscate? Yes, but I also say coupon, so. <laughs> I and, do too. <laughs> and D-E-W is due, so is D-U-E. So it's not about obfuscate at all. He's just got way too many glides all over the place. He's glided way I'm, off track. I'm under the influence of Yod. You're super yachtified, hmm. hyper yachtified. Anyway, you can pronounce obfuscate however you like. Well, now I don't know if I should stick to my guns or if I should bow to the prescriptive forces around me. You could pronounce it in Latin. Bill's on my side, so I'm probably right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, is this mine? I actually forgot what I was going to say, so never mind. His goal was to find the topologic topologically. What What does this even mean? <laughs> that should not be possible. The question here is, do we have any provinces that have executable mispronunciations? Uh, I mean, states, not provinces. So (laughs) where do we live anyway? Another set of stringed instruments that must not be named. I've heard that if you cross running water under a full moon, you can sometimes lose cursed items like stringed (laughs) instruments. (laughs) (laughs) 
Welcome back to Language Made Difficult, where we put your name. <laughs> I cannot say what I just wrote down. It makes no damn sense. Okay. That was not singing. That was punk. I think we I think we drifted. Ukulele. Sorry, I said the word. Sorry. I thought we could just claim we had an entire series of episodes on Noel Alamores. One of my students was playing. I walked into my classroom last uh, Monday night, and Trey, I heard your voice, and it scared the living crap out of me. <laughs> and one of my students was streaming a podcast. Wow. And I, thought, I better be careful what I say. <laughs> it's way too late for that. Oh, good. Do not ever, um, never mind. Actually, I started in on that one, then forgot what I was going to say. So, okay. I hope this will be edited out instead of in the outtakes. <laughs> <laughs> what are the chances of that? Almost none. <laughs> then your your heart is just dark, then Trey. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> the Sith. <laughs> <laughs> it is hardened against the ukulele. It is oh, true. Oh man, sadness. <laughs> I'm running out of ways to sort of end one segment and start another one. I think you should just end it before you do the scores, because I think that would be a new way of ending it. Just avoiding the scores. <laughs> yeah. And I think that would interest our listeners to not have the tedium of those scores read out every time. Now, you know what, Sherry? What? I almost ended it without the scores, but you reminded me. You reminded him. Sorry, suckers. Gotta go.